This episode of Intermission is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film, and whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to be either a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch, and instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. To try Mubi free for 30 days, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. That's mubi.com slash filmstage. And go there for a whole month of great cinema for free. Before this episode of Intermission properly begins, I want to make a note about the contents of this episode. Uh, My guests Logan Kenny and I uh, do talk extensively about Andrei Tarkovsky's Mir, but it also comes at uh, strange timing for Logan. Um, Logan and a number of people in the critical and filmmaking community, and especially the letterbox community, uh, were acquainted with a uh, critic and filmmaker named Eli Hayes. And he passed on uh, the, the day that we recorded this episode. As such, it's something that comes up in relation uh, to the film and in relation to a number of feelings uh, that are um, pretty raw for Logan. I thank him that, you know, he was able to give me the time, given the circumstances, and um, that he was so open about his feelings. But I felt I would be remiss if I uh, didn't discuss or at least um, not necessarily warn, but let people know that that is something that's discussed in this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. J.C. died soon after a long civil war. Just after I wiped away Hello, and welcome back to Intermission. This is episode four, and uh, we are here to talk about uh, Andrei Tarkovsky's uh, film, Mir. Or The Mirror, as it's, as it's known in the United States, which I've, I've found in doing a little bit of research on it, that the actual film seems to be subtitled as The Mirror, but everywhere else in the world it seems to be known as Mirror. So, with that said, I'm just going to use them interchangeably. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, again, uh, we are here to talk about... Uh, I'm deciding right now. It's going to be Mir. We are talking about Mir, and uh, I'm here today with uh, Logan Kenny, who is uh, talking to me from Scotland. Uh, how are you doing today, Logan? I'm I'm doing okay. Thank you, Michael. Um, I'm here to talk about Mir, which I did not know was called the Mir in the United States. So the more you know. <laughs> I know, Logan. Like, um, what do you do these days? Um, I occasionally write. Um, when I'm not writing, I'm lying in bed watching movies, basketball documentaries, <laughs> and um, watching X Men on live stream for charity. That's pretty much my life right now. I don't know. That doesn't sound like a bad life, Logan, at the moment, uh, given the circumstances. But uh, to transition a little bit, uh, as always, Intermission is brought to you by the wonderful folks at uh, Mubi, uh, the curated online uh, streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. As we mentioned last week, uh, the, the Mubi just introduced their library. Which, which means that not only will a, a great new film be added each day, but also that there is now an expansive library to pick through that has included uh, past titles that uh, expired, multiple collections, and all kinds of uh, 
unique choices that some that uh, an individual can look into. But as far as highlighting um, a few things that are coming soon, um, I want to highlight uh, the the movie's partnership with New York's uh, Museum of the Moving Image. And uh, they have been doing a first look uh, festival um, with, um, you know, to compensate for the uh, cancellation of the in-person festival. Their most recent selection is actually uh, called Bird Talk, and it is a, uh, as the movie description reads, Closing our series of highlights from First Look is this urgent and exhilarating political parable. Penned by the director's late father, filmmaker Andrzej Zalowski, an unhinged and reverential tribute to one of cinema's greatest legends, the film is also a trenchant look at Poland today. Yeah, uh, Zalowski is is someone I'm not uh, deeply familiar with, but Possession is uh, certainly one of my favorites. And uh, another film I'd like to uh, recommend is um, 1991's The Stranger, which is the last film from um, legendary uh, Bengali filmmaker Satyajit uh, Rai. And... uh, as, as, again, the movie description um, reads, it's a philosophical work that ponders the evolution of cinema and human nature, based on uh, Rai's own short story, Athiti. The film comments on the state of the world where the value of material wealth far exceeds that of humanity, trust, and love. If you want to check out uh, one of these two selections, or any of uh, their library, uh, you can try a free 30-day trial of Mubi by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. And now we can get into the film at hand, uh, which is 1975's Mir by director Andrei Tarkovsky. So, Logan... Why did you pick this film to talk about today? What's kind of your previous relationship with it? Okay, well, uh, when I first saw Mirror, I was I was fifteen, I think, and I was watching like a I was sick around that time. I was I was going through a lot of mental health stuff, and it like um, like I'm autistic, and going to like high school caused like such intense anxiety within me. But like it started to like physically manifest in my body, like I was, it was just so unhealthy for me that I was like in pain all the time from stress, and so I spent a lot of time in, in when I was fifteen in my bed, and just watching movies and watching wrestling and stuff, and that like led to me seeing like a bunch of still my all time favorite movies like Bridges of Madison County or like Deja Vu or, or stuff like that, and I randomly um I was I was trying to focus. I find a way to focus on movies, especially like foreign language movies, where sometimes I would get distracted and not focus on everything. Um, So I was like figuring out a new way to to try and watch movies that weren't in my own language. And um, I, I, I got my phone out and I started recording little voice notes of me, like reading out the dialogue and trying to like find impressions of myself and try to figure out what was happening in every movie. And I did it for Better Tears of Petra von Kant. Uh, by Fassbender, which is still my favorite film of his. And then the file got deleted, and I was really mad. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it again for another movie. I'm going to do it for Andrei Tarkovsky's Mirror. This will be pretty fun. And I watched it, and I put it on, I was like, oh! I was like being inquisitive and trying to figure out the meaning. Then about halfway through, like it just shot me in the gut with emotion. And so like the second half of this voice note is just me crying and like really emotional. And it's still one of the like most formative experiences I've ever had with a movie like in cinemas or at home, just being there like two in the morning, trying to figure out my feelings on a movie that was basically like changing everything in my life immediately. Like the way I saw like cinema, like it, 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 the thing about Mera that really astonished me was that it conveyed everything amazing about cinema to me without actually having like a concrete plot 
are like narrative. Like there's like hints of it, but it doesn't matter. It's all about like feeling and like immersing yourself in like Tarkovsky's world. Whether that makes any sense or not doesn't matter. It's all about like the visceral experience of memories and dreams. And it connected to me so much as a kid who was kind of like out of time and place already. Because like my life was like delayed because of stuff I couldn't control. And I'd already had like a bunch of experiences that weren't amazing because of like people reacting to my conditions. So seeing Mera was like already like it made me feel like I was like his protagonist kind of looking back on everything. And so that made me like interested to see how it changed in the years since. So now that I'm an adult, like coming back to it, not seeing it since that like formative viewing and seeing how it changes as an adult has, has changes as I've changed and I've grown up and I've been able to handle things better to see if it still has that same impact or if it's something else entirely. This, as you're saying, is despite being kind of like inflected by, by history, like there's a lot of historical events um, that are referenced here. Um, you know, everything from like the Leningrad blockade and uh, Spanish civil war and, and um, various things along those lines. But it is ultimately a, a film about someone like trying to reconcile with their, with their own past, like to speak of my own experience. Um, it was, it was very weird to rewatch this just, just as you were saying, cause I had remembered a lot of sensations and, and specifically like elemental things like, you know, rain coming down in the house, the fire, the, uh, the way water and surfaces figure into this. And like, it, it was kind of fascinating to me, like almost in the same way as like Stalker, this movie almost like conditions you into its rhythms. Like it literally begins with someone, you know, doing a, a mental hypnosis, <laughs> hypnosis session to be like uh, to a, uh, a young boy who, who's stuttering and uh, to where he finally says, I can speak before you see like a, a, uh, a, a television in color that's literally trying to tune before the film starts. It, it, it really is. I didn't remember how much it really does like almost wean you in to first kind of speak to that. I mean, what is since your like larger experience with Tarkovsky is, is this the one that you have the strongest personal connection to? Um, what, what's kind of your overall feelings about his work, personal or uh, objectively? <laughs> Well, I think the um, I think a lot of people who haven't really dived into Tarkovsky kind of view him as one of those like almost impenetrable auteurs of like canonical cinema, like the, the like like it's like easy to like tear down or like dismiss without even like interrogating properly. I, mean, I understand the impulse, but with Tarkovsky, I think especially even on like our kind of circle of the internet, I think he's actually become more underappreciated again because i think that he's probably like he's not my favorite filmmaker per se but when i think of like who who i would call probably the best filmmaker tarkovsky always comes to mind he is just absolutely incredible um and the thing that really clicks with me the most about tarkovsky is how emotional his movies are because i don't really get that much of aesthetic only cinema I have to like feel something because of my condition because I feel so immensely. If I don't really emotionally connect to something, whether that's like it doesn't need to necessarily be like crying, but about caring, about feeling something, even if that's just like feeling something from the way that like the montage is layered or like a single character or just like really loving like the way music is like composed and implemented into a scene. I need to like invest properly in it. Otherwise I don't really get as much out of it. There's always that kind of feeling of emptiness, but Tarkovsky always moved me completely. Like there's a moment in Solaris where like the main character is like, he's faced against the specter of his wife. And they're in the scene where like the, the, the station's orbit shifts and gravity just goes away for a minute or two. And these two people are floating in space together, floating in the air as everything like swarms around them. And it doesn't matter that she's not real. It doesn't matter that this is impermanent and that a minute later, everything's going to go back to the ground and melancholy is going to live again. For this one second or two, you feel everything. 
you feel everything like floating in the air around you. And it's one of my favorite moments in the history of cinema. And that's where my love for Tarkovsky really started, was with that moment in Solaris. But first viewing of Mirror, um, I actually remember very little of the actual textures. Um, I remember like basic things like the water and the house and the fire, and especially like the POV shots of the of the middle aged protagonist, like interacting with everyone because it felt so static and alien compared to the flashbacks. Um, but mostly, I remember what it made me feel. I remember um, just like feeling such intense emotion from the dream sequences and from the flashbacks. And just crying because I couldn't process the amount of like the wave of emotion that kind of like that layered over me. That's that's what really feels so special about Tarkovsky is that not only is he like this amazing formal uh, filmmaker, but he he is so invested in everything about the world and about people, whether that's sad or horrific or or just kind of mundane. He kind of gets into that element, like he finds beauty in it. Uh, like in Mare, it's a movie all about death and regret. And yet there's catharsis in it and beauty in the fact that, look, we might not like how everything happened, but at least it did. And that's there's something really beautiful about the way he approaches the world in that way. Even when he's like in Solaris, when he's almost like borderline nihilistic, it doesn't feel apathetic. It feels pained like he doesn't like the way that this, the world has turned out. But it's the only option for some people. And I just connect to him a lot emotionally. And I think... But every time I go into a movie of his again for a second time, I feel something completely different. And it's always positive, but it's always something new. And there's not many filmmakers that truly change my perceptions of their work every time I go back to it. Yeah, I I have to say that going back to this, you know, I had certain expectations. I mean, use the word dream. And it's something that it's it's odd because I, I think... In the past couple of years, I've had to find a better way to articulate dreamlike because it, it has so many dimensions. I mean, you when you look at like slow cinema filmmakers like Psy or uh, Wiarstakal, the the Thai director, or you know even someone like um, you know uh, Gambi, who's yeah, like all of these filmmakers are just like, and you can say all of those are very influenced by Tarkovsky. But their sense of time is is all very different, and I think the the interesting thing about this, and it's interesting that you're talking about. Um, I, I think it's important that you're mentioning that it's not only about the past, and but it's about that like retroactive vision of, of the past, and and being able to say, here's where the present exists. I mean, even if you want to go to the literally the last scene of the movie. It, it's it's a it's a woman imagining you know herself decades at least this is my interpretation decades down the line with you know grandchildren but but it's I, I think that scene is almost like a good way to almost start talking about how this kind of resists the the ideas of like of almost like dreams like like it's kind of fascinating because i don't think this falls into an easy like dream logic or nightmare logic in the sense of you know someone like lynch or, or something like it's much more not only is it mundane but it's it, it's uh it, it's like a surreal naturalism like it, it was weird how much i had forgotten about how this movie like in a single frame will like multiply the amount of people in a room or like just disappear people. Like, like it just something intrudes on that space and it, it becomes something totally different. A couple, a couple of my favorite moments like that is when, in like the, like the second scene in the movie with the doctor coming to the fence where like, he's got a cigarette in his finger and he falls down and it's gone. Like something like that, that kind of fragility of memory. Like a lot of people could just point that out and be like, oh, where'd the cigarette go? But if you watch the rest of the movie, you're like, oh, that's where the cigarette went. It doesn't matter. It's like little details of memory get smudged out. That That's why the elusive feeling of like childhood nostalgia becomes increasingly impossible to maintain because it becomes less and less real the older you get. And Merit is maybe one of the only movies about memory that truly understands that Memory is not just about going back to where what happened. It's about what does it look like now that you're growing up 
and you're tired and you wish it was back then. Um, and it's interesting you brought up the final scene because I think the final scene is completely different, which I think is, is fantastic. Sure. Um, because what I view it as is it's like a collection of like overlapping dreams and memories. And the, the final scene is a space where every part of someone exists, like every part of the movie. So like um, the, the wife, the daughter, the mother. Like they've all, they've been like, like this one woman plays like two characters, plays, plays his ex-wife and his mother as a young woman. And instead of, instead of it, like just like going nowhere, it feels like a space where the older version of his mother can exist and the younger version of the mother and him as a child and possibly the version of him as an adult, where all the people in his life that meant something are there in one space, all different ages, all having the same impact in this eternal space of his childhood where everything was better, where he viewed things as more blissful and peaceful. So it's like this kind of, like in Stalker, where like the grid is like this kind of perpetual place of like all of human suffering and all of human beauty. It's like that, but it's like preserving the best parts of his life into this one area where no matter what happens to him, because it's implied that in my opinion, he dies before this. Hmm. This is his heaven almost, a place where he gets to exist with the mother he remembers and the mother he had when he died. And he gets to exist with his childhood self and his son. And I think there's something really beautiful about like how Tarkovsky still is like, you know what, we're going to preserve a world for you, even if it's not the one you wanted. Which I think honestly carries over to the ending of Solaris too. Because it's like, look, this isn't the world he wanted, but it's the world he has and it's his. And you've got that to cling on to. Um, and I think I think there's something interesting about like the little spaces in his movies he builds for people that need some need somewhere to feel home. It it moves me to an unspeakable amount that something like Mary exists, which cares so much about memory and dream, and it, it views them as like fundamental parts of the human existence, not just things that you talk to about people, but as important to people as the actual logistics of what happened in their lives. You're getting at something like really, really interesting. I hadn't thought about. I, you know, I, th- I think weirdly, I hadn't thought about this being as personal to Tarkovsky until you're speaking about it in this way. And I think that's partly because, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about the autobiographical extent, yeah. even though I, I know that this is very much uh, autobiography and fiction combined. And the the poetry is specifically by uh, someone of. Uh, who he's related to. Um, but, uh, I like how, how fickle, like this, this version of memory is like, I I think for instance, about the scene with what I perceived as his mom, where she's trying to find a, a document. Um, and she comes back and, you know, it's relief that she found it. And then this woman, like essentially lectures her about all of her failings um, in this very subconscious way. Like it was, it was very familiar to me of when your brain almost yells at you for your like inadequacies that that's yeah. what I was specifically thinking of. And I think that is what makes some of the autobiographical elements so strange in this is, is like, as you're saying, it's that present tense memory looking back. And of course it's little details. Like he thinks it's in 30 or he thinks it's in 35 or 36, but it's in 30, 1934 for instance. And there's like little things that everybody talks about with dreams, but it's, it's the more, as much as there is an emphasis on those those things like we were talking about, like water and, and liquids and like, you know, a glass mm-hmm. like tipping over, which that's still an image that's just embedded in, in my brain for decades now. Um, like it is also just very much about like the way that you imagined like that hallway she's running down also resembles the apartment of those two women, yeah. which also resembles uh, that house, which is like, in a way, a shelter from the world, but also something, uh, you know, it's also something repressive. Like you think, I think specifically of the scene 
where uh, they walk two hours to another woman's house. And it starts playing with this idea of a door closing and this young boy looking at a mirror and looking at this milk on the ground. And then it they kind of emerge and go into another room where a child is. And he doesn't seem to follow them in, but then he goes out of the door. Like, continuity, as you're saying, like... The cigarette's there, it's not. But it's not about continuity at all. It's, it's about that sense that, like, he felt left behind in that moment. And, and, but it doesn't ever delineate that with, with a code. Like, I, I guess, like, one thing we could speak specifically about is, for years, I feel like the easy way to denote a dream sequence is to go in black and white or, like, get hazy. <laughs> and this mm-hmm. film doesn't doesn't really do that yet you think yeah. it does at first but it, it, that's that's kind of totally false <laughs> yeah there's there's so much to what you said that i've got like new thoughts on but the, the first thing is like the way it plays is on black and white and color to kind of mess with your perception of reality like what is actually happening and then after a certain point it doesn't matter what's happening like the longer it goes on the less like the weird rhythms of continuity even like matter or like become jarring and that's like um like the scene where like the child leaps on the grenade and he turns up and he's an adult again like like to, to to show like the way that this kind of experience is like aged him or the way that like you can you can like analyze it with like deep impress like impressions of what it means but no matter what you think happens there or why he's an adult now the 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 sheer amount of feeling in your body when that reveal pans and you see everyone on the ground and you see this body aged and pop up and realize that he he almost died and that he should have died in his head and now he has to kind of like live with the knowledge that he he was that close to the end just instinctively and I think I think that kind of adds to like the perspective of death kind of looming over everything. Like there's no real direct death in Mer, but it's always there. Like it's always haunting you. Whether that's the death of like a physical body or the death of like a time and place and era. I think a lot of filmmakers who make kind of things about their childhood kind of like paint it in almost objective terms. Like, this is what happened. This is what's going to happen. Here's the links to my filmmaking career or whatever. Like even like movies I really like that do that. Um, but this one is just like, no, you don't get to like relive it explicitly like you're doing in cinema. What happens is that your view of childhood is it's layered and it's all over the place and you don't really have a key sense of time anymore, especially the older you get. And I think the biggest change to me with going back to Mirror was that before I saw, when I saw Mirror for the first time, I had no real like experience with death. Like I'd had, I'd like, I'd grieved like celebrities like Anton Yeltsin and like Phil Seymour Hoffman and stuff like that. I'd had my like grief over like figures, but I'd never known anyone that died. And like watching Mirror, like even today when I was watching, I found out that a friend of mine had died or like I'd lost my aunt and I've lost several people. And the kind of the vague feeling of, oh, death is just there and you never know when it's going to like spring on you again. And you've just got to live with that and try not to break over it. It's kind of like the thing about Mirror that feels so powerful. And yet Mirror is never, it's never, it's never about suffering. It's never about like pure fear or terror. It's about death in a way that, that feels right, that feels cathartic. Maybe not like, oh, I'm, I'm glad to die and find whatever's next or whatever's there. But the beauty of just, having an existence and having memories the fact that death is heartbreaking and terrifying but like at least you got to have something to lose which is i think the the most key thing about merit to me is that it would have been so easy for tarkovsky to just make a movie where like oh everyone's dead and he's dead now and the but instead the final scene is just about it's about the beauties of life it's about everything that he wanted in life everything he loved in life in this like perfect field. Um, and I, I think that when I die, the last thing I would want to see is probably mirror because it would be the thing that it's maybe not the thing that would bring me most comfort, but it was the thing that made me think that's, that was what life was for. 
that was what it was for, for the people, for the dreams, for the memories, for even for the history, just of just of being able to in completely immerse yourself in your own head and everything you've ever experienced and feel just that kind of sense of, you know what, I did okay and it could have been a lot worse and I'm glad I did it. You're, you're making me think a lot about uh, how other people recently have shown memory. And I'm thinking specifically of Pedro, uh, Pedro Almodovar's uh, yeah, painting. Yeah, I was thinking about that as well. And um, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything uh, in relation to that last scene because I, I still want more people to see that movie. But what I will say is like it it's is really very interesting and it's, it's a trope and, and a pattern that comes up that that film traces a few very specific memories. And, you know, one is about the first time, you know, he felt feelings mm-hmm. for a man and um, – as a child and uh, about these certain memories of his, his mother singing. And, but those are, you know, they're somewhat, they're somewhat linear. And and I think you are getting at something like there's almost an Mm -hmm. overload uh, of symbolism, which, which is not meant as a, you know, a derogatory or a positive thing. Like it's just a a neutral quality of the film. Mm -hmm. Like I I think for instance, about the way things like uh, the bird on the cap comes back to, uh, you know, him dying in, in bed. And that's not something, you know, that's like, uh, sorry, like two frames away. It's like 20 minutes away from each other. Or um, just the way mm-hmm. that things keep returning and they're not they're not interested. Like, they're definitely curated, but they are very much a, a collage. Like, it was interesting you were talking a little bit about history and I'd be interested in terms of so what do you make for instance in the interlude of archival footage like real black and white uh, mm-hmm. documentary footage i think it's about like um i think a lot of like personal filmmaking becomes about just the person and their experiences directly but like we all know like living through like a very like turbulent world the world itself affects us what we experience historically affects our perceptions of life and the way we interact with people so i think in something so like almost personal and almost documenting like the experiences of one person they're documenting some of the haze of foods that he remembers from like the spanish civil war and from leningrad and incorporating that real footage into his memory is just like a natural kind of a natural way of doing it but also i like the there's a lot of movies there's a few movies that really capture what it's like to feel like in my brain, like the way that like thoughts process, like in my brain, thoughts are constant. I'm always thinking, I'm always on, I never really turn off. And I leap from wildly different like things all the time. So, and Mara really captures that because it feels like, no, your brain doesn't always work in a linear way of like natural thoughts. Sometimes it just wants to think about the Spanish Civil War. And that just, that always clicked with me. And it clicked with me on this viewing. It's just like, there's something so comforting about just seeing that, oh, someone else thinks like this. Someone else is just a brain that's just like sometimes you just you're, you're, you just see something and you're just brought back to the sudden memory. Like I was outside in my garden the other day and I looked at like the, like the stones on my garage wall. And I thought about it when I was eight and I was playing football in my back garden and I like tripped and I hit my head off like a wooden post we were using for a goalpost. It was just a block of wood. Oh, no. I hadn't thought about that in 10 years and it just randomly came back. And that's kind of what Mirror is like. It's about seeing like something completely random or dissonant and it sticks with you for the rest of your life. Like the bird. He sees the bird and then the bird comes back at the end of his life because it's just an image that sticks with him. And something a bit unrelated, but what I really like about about Mirror and what I, one of the main things I love about it is like when you're talking about the elemental aspects, the thing I really like is that that's constant throughout the way that no matter what the details of like of memory like change the, like the force like of like in terms of like your familial experiences or like like you like like basic things like a cigarette the the water the dripping over water mm-hmm. the burning flames the this especially the sounds of the wind they're constant they stay with you forever and that doesn't die the wind's not going anywhere <laughs> and i think mirror is often a lot about those things whereas whereas the big like the, the barn burning or just like 
simple water drop. And I think that that is why Mirror is kind of like an embodiment of things I'm looking for in cinema because it's about like the big, like the, the farm burning, death, like uh, the Spanish Civil War, etc. And about very minute things that don't matter to anyone else, but they matter to you. Um, and when talking about like pain and glory, um, the way that like with no spoilers, obviously, the way that, like, that Almodovar is just, like, doing, like, a cinema paradiso thing and then just completely upends it is brilliant. Yes. Like, um, that, when I think of people doing that, not to subtweet cinema paradiso, which I think is fine, but that's what I was talking about earlier with the director going back and their love of cinema and stuff. It's like, yeah, okay, but, like, it's not, it's never like that. It's never as direct as that. It's never as, like cookie cutter and like script almost scripted which is not a bad thing like sometimes you need movies like that but like for those great works of art that when i I think of i come back to and especially with mirror you come back to and you look at it differently like when you're a kid who doesn't understand death as like a physical concept when you're an adult and you know it like that changes you and your your perspectives of the whole film where something like cinema paradiso you'll just be like oh i relate to that one character more but it's not really a different experience it still can be a very emotional and brilliant one. But with Mirror, it's just something completely different every time. And that kind of makes me want to revisit it every like three years or so and just to see what's happened in my life and what does it look like now. And I just, I really like that. Like the power of cinema is not that, of not reality, but it's about feeling something in spite of it. It's about being so powerful and so like true to the human condition and your own experiences that you're just like, it feels like it's something that you've made or something that someone you know has been involved of. It transcends fiction and it transcends that kind of like the, the wall of separation you position between yourself and fiction. And it blends into your own life and your own experiences in the way that all the best works of art do. And Mirror is maybe the encapsulation of that for me. Yeah, I, I think too it's... If you want to speak to even Tarkovsky's memory, you know, like he's actively he doesn't resist any like active uh, sorry references to um, his own films. Like there's a poster for Andrei Rublev. There's a, the balloon. The balloon trip is literally the intro of uh, Andrei Rublev. Um, there, I mean the the you know, mushroom cloud from the archival footage. I mean, that's comparable in, in a way to, you know, that very surreal Solaris image. I, I mean, there is, there's various ways that, that you're right, that it, it is not just these pivotal moments, but it's, it's things that, that shape you. Like it's, yeah. um, I, I found for instance, really interesting the sequence where it focuses on a quote from uh, Rousseau, I believe. And it's talking about <laughs> this author is essentially saying, um, you know, I'm not happy with my country <laughs> right now. It, it's not the best place. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> it's a little more poetic than this. But, um, you know, I'm not happy with my country. It's not the place that it should be. You know, it's it's gone through problems, but it's still my fatherland. It, it's still the place that, you know, is, is home, even though it's, as you're saying, is home, even if you don't even know what that means mm-hmm. anymore. And yeah. and I think that's really interesting in terms of like uh, Tarkovsky is like so much of this film is just, um, it, it just exists in the shadow of after the world wars. Like it's, and in these like big moments in history that if they went differently, they would have changed the course of time, would, would have changed, mm-hmm. you know, whether a country would succeed or, or fail or anything like that. And um, yeah. I, I think that is like what what really what really kind of surprises me in relation to other like Tarkovsky's other films, like to go back to Andrei Rublev one more time, like that is you know, that is in its own way equally, you know, theoretical and poetic. Like so much of that film is back and forth between, you know, will God forgive us and look at this beauty that we can experience this terrible pain, but then also just experience this life that we were never, uh, we were never worthy of. And, and it's, it's Mm -hmm. so interesting because, like one I was thinking about, I already spoke about 
you know, where she's running through the office. I feel like Tarkovsky just loved watching that woman, like, run. Like, like the camera, not yeah. in a titillating way or anything <laughs> like that, but just the way that she moves is so distinct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that really stands out, like, when you bring up Andrew Rublev, is that I think Tarkovsky's, like, the kind of middle ground between, like, almost, like, insincere idealism, where it's so saccharine, like, a lot of American cinema, not always in a bad way, idealism is fantastic, but sometimes it's just, it goes, like, too far, and you're like, I don't buy this, and then, like, hardened core, like, misery porn defeatism, like, pure suffering, and, like, constant misery, and Tarkovsky's just kind of right in the middle, especially with Andrew Rublev, which is just like, well, shit, maybe God hates us, maybe God's abandoned us, but look, this we're gonna make this bell, and this bell is beautiful, and it'll take a while, and it sucks to do it, but when that, that thing rings, you found everything, and you get that kind of moment of, like, spirituality, and another thing that I really, that I didn't notice, but remember, it feels really kind of fitting is that it could like Mera could work as a final film but it also works as right in the middle mm. it is right in the middle of Tarkovsky's filmmaking because there was Iris Sheltered and Andrew Rublev and Solaris and then Stalker Nostalgia and The Sacrifice came after it so it's the four, it's fourth of seven and it's right in the middle it is all about looking back at what came before and the ending kind of signifies what could lie next and then Stalker is incredibly spiritual and incredibly distanced from probably at this point even more distanced from reality than something like Solaris where it's kind of all about like the intangible spaces of humanity that we don't really think about like almost like like a manifestation of like people's like the ways like thought works and brains work like you're inside someone's head more than you are in an actual tangible location I think it's interesting that Mera became like it existed as something that could have been it could have been the end but instead it kind of signal 12 more years of filmmaking and again i think a lot about little things that i shouldn't think about and have existential crises over and that's why i like tarkovsky because he also does this <laughs> like mirrors one long existential crisis over a bird <laughs> and that's beautiful like you we can we can wax poetically about it but at the same time it is him having an existential crisis over oh shit the spanish civil war is done and i'll never go back to when i was a kid seeing that what the fuck that's crazy like that's that's kind of what the movie is in its most simplistic term as a man having an existential crisis over everything and when i think of like well my experience watching mirror for the first time was so pivotal that i would feel bad if i watched nostalgia and then my phone rang halfway through and i'd just be like i can't recreate that moment i can watch it again but i've seen the first half of nostalgia and it will never be fresh again it'll never be that moment like there is nothing quite like mirror like, there's films that try and get that kind of non-linear sense of memory and dream and the encapsulation of an entire human being, but nothing's ever really been like this. And I just think, especially in a time like this, not to, like, this is the film of our times, it, but I think there is something really consoling about watching something that is like, yeah, shit sucks, but you're going to be okay, and you're going to find something in it. And, I don't know, it, it comforted me a lot today when I really needed it. Which I think, I think especially with the death everywhere, there's something kind of nice. Not to like dismiss the, the grief, especially that I'm feeling and some people are feeling, but like to find something that's just like, it's not just a, a hell. It's not just like apocalyptic. There's still elegance there. I think, I, think, I think a lot of people need that right now. I need that. And I'm very grateful that I found it here, which I wasn't really expecting when I woke up this morning. Yeah, no, I uh, I have a few different thoughts, but it was it was interesting you were talking about. Um, I, I think there is a certain I won't say comfort in death, but there is something something powerful in 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 being reminded of those moments, you know, as a snapshot, like as a yeah. as a almost like. Um, you know, it's almost like, yeah, it's like a slideshow in your mind. It's it's not even necessarily cinema or that easy. It's, you know, specific moments. Like, as you said, that moment that you tripped and, and hit the wood block, for instance. Like, it's action um, more than, you know, remembering that whole game or <laughs> anything like that. Yeah. I don't remember the score, but I remember what happened after and. 
you don't even necessarily remember like the physical <laughs> sensation. You just remember the like the the action. But um, there's there's something that I thought of like especially like today, whereas like with with Eli, everyone who knew him is talking about him, and they're memorializing him, and they're keeping him alive in a sense. Within them forever, Tarkovsky's been dead. He's been dead way before I was born. He's he's not here, and yeah, a part of him lives on in this. And I think about the way we keep people alive within them. It's like you will never know my auntie Anne, who died in 2017, who I made a, who I, I spoke at the funeral of. Um, you'll never know her, but I can tell you about her. And even even if that memory won't last you forever, it's still a part of you for a bit. And so she's alive for another person for a little while. I can tell you about how she really loved mystery novels. She always had like a detective story around. I can tell you about her, her old house when she was a head teacher. She lived on her own because she didn't she didn't like anyone else except except our family. I can tell you about how we always had a bond. I can tell you about how the last time I saw her when I woke up and I got told she was in the hostel and she wasn't she was probably not going to make it. I went to the hostel and I held her hand. And she was unconscious and she woke up for a minute and she recognized me and she looked in my eyes and she said, Logan, and she like held on to me and she was so happy to see me. And that was the last time I ever saw her. I got that one moment. I can tell you about that moment. And that might not stick with you forever, but there'll be a couple of times in your life. If someone is listening to this and hears that, sometimes they'll make think of someone that they had the last moment with. And then that keeps a part of them alive again. And there's something about art as a way that it makes people, it makes you remember people. It makes you think about people. And I think about Eli as like I could have been a better friend. I could have been there more. And now you've got you've got a regret about how I wish I'd spent more time with this person. But there's something so beautiful about the fact that this person is going to be with you forever. Like it might not be every day. You have to live your own life sometimes. But when I go to bed sometimes or I watch a movie, I'll be like, he might have liked that. Yeah. And that he's not he's not gone completely. And his movies they're still there, and you can we can go watch them. We can go watch his Vimeo and see the works he put out and they can be part of how we make art and how we do things. And I think art to me is special because it keeps, it keeps a part of us alive forever. And whether that's people taking influence or that's just the things existing, they know their face, they know their name, something about that stays alive and they are, they are not like forgotten to the void. But that's, that's one of my worst fears is not death, but not being, like remembered by anyone and whether I'm remembered forever doesn't really bother me. Well, I mean, what matters is I'm remembered by a few people that, that, that matter. And I think, I think, I think today and this kind of horrible day for people like everywhere, like thinking about how young he was and how nice and kind he was. There's something really beautiful about being like, well, he's still, he's not gone. We haven't lost everything about him. He still made the difference here. I think that that's that's what that's what art does in the best sense. Is it helps us cope with things that seem impossible. When I watch this movie, I remember my Annie Ann, and I remember I'll remember Eli from this point forward. I'll remember like random friends of mine who I don't talk to anymore who might be gone, or like people I I, I knew when I was a kid who like like my great aunt May who died when I was about eight. I remember them. I think about them. I kind of want the people close to my life if I die like sooner than later to have that kind of like consolation and watch this movie and think, well, he had his life and it wasn't perfect, but he, he made a difference. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about a few things in relation to what you're talking about. And I guess, I guess one question I, I do have, you know, I, I guess you've kind of answered it because you're saying that, you know, you want to remember, uh, you know, a piece of the, the people you love and, um, but is are there any films then that do fall into a category of you're just you're unable to ever watch them? But I, I'm just curious in that respect, I guess from my own philosophy then, I, I think I would have a hard time rewatching those if the first experience was that important to me because I think specifically, yeah. it's so interesting to me that you're you talk about like crystallizing that exact moment and then like maybe to speak to Eli I, I was just thinking for instance about the the fact that the even if a moment didn't matter as soon as it becomes a last moment it becomes like crystallized 
Yeah. Like, like, yeah, go ahead. I checked, I like, I checked his letterboxed and it was like, like one of the last movies he ever saw was Driveways, the Andrew Ann, which I've not seen. And now, but like, when you think of like, that was like the fourth last movie you ever saw. Yeah. And you just kind of think, what, what will be the fourth last movie I ever see? Or like, just thinking about it in that kind of sense of finality and that something that's something that maybe wasn't made in the nature of like being life lasting becomes it. Like, um, because of how subjective experience is. Like, there's, like, when some things and you watch something and it reminds you of death and it feels kind of awful. Like, you got, if you get, like, a phone call through, like, a movie, like, say you're going to see Finding Dory at the movie theater and you go see it and you get a phone call right afterwards that your uncle's died, you're not going to want to watch Finding Dory again because no. it's going to remind you of that phone call. With something that merit, it's something that's so, like, healing and almost like an elixir. I, I, I've never been like a religious person because I was never brought up with it. But when I think of like, like in Andrew Rubeff where you, like you find spirituality through like the, the act of flying or the act of a bell, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think spirituality, but I feel like connectiveness to something better, greater than myself. We're in like, like not necessarily like a God or like spiritualism, but like people and like the beauty of like what this, this planet is capable of. And it's not like it will solve everything, but it, to me today, there was a couple things that helped me help me dealing with the Eli thing, which I, 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 a lot of the time, especially with death, when it immediately happens, you kind of push it. To, it doesn't, it hasn't kicked in yet. Yeah. Like there's like that kind of overwhelming moment at the first, you just, you can't breathe really. And you start crying and then you like reflect. And then there's that kind of period of this doesn't feel real yet. And then just something happens and it just kind of hits. And I don't think I would have been able to talk to people today or really anything if I hadn't been watching Mare because mm. it just it kind of provided me the tools I needed to like calm myself down and think about how to talk to someone who was also struggling with shit it's like I don't know it's like sometimes you feel like you, ne- you never have the right words to say to someone and sometimes like especially when I'm struggling I kind of go back in my head to like art like either that's just small talk or it's something more major yeah. i think about things i learned and not like i think about like like the ending of james baldwin's if beale street could talk or something like that and i like incorporate it into things or and there are people who knew eli better than i do who will be better than i did i'm still not used to it um who, who will be better at like articulating everything that made him special but to me he was just one of the nice people and it's it sucked because I I remember because it was literally before I started watching Mirror again I read a review of his about Old Mirror like I read it and he not he was still we we all thought he was still alive so I read the review and then I mm-hmm. went and watched half the movie then the guy who I read the review of is just he's not here anymore and yeah. instead of just like paralyzed myself and just not knowing what to think I went back to the movie and tried to figure out what to say and what to think. I would definitely not be the same person if I didn't see Mare that day when I was sad that my voice note had deleted about Fastbender. Like, just this random, significant occurrence of, oh, I pressed delete on the thing accidentally, mm-hmm. so I watched Mare to feel better about it and do a different experiment with it. It can lead to a funeral speech that changes, that, that helps cope, like, people of my family cope with it. So it leads to my entire artistic development. It's just something so beautiful about how like the little things in life kind of lead into some like cosmic significance for us. I don't know. I wish I'd done more for Eli. I wish I'd known. I wish I'd been more impressionable. I wish I'd been, I wish I'd talked to him more and more than anything. So we talked, but we didn't talk regularly. I checked the DMs and it'd been like a year and a half since I last spoke to him properly one-on-one. That made me feel terrible. And, but if there's like, there's any consolation in such a tragedy like this is that people like the people that are left and like kind of the ashes of it everyone reaches out to each other and i think all of us kind of want to reach out to each other more but we can't and that will hopefully lead to me talking to them more and not making the same mistakes and not i guess not taking someone for granted because anyone could just not be here and we should cherish everything we get and I don't know. I'm just grateful. Like, like, I, I'm a movie that I'll never be able to watch again is My Friend Dahmer. 
which hmm. terrible movie with Ross Lynch. Terrible, terrible fucking movie. But I remember, like, I missed a screening for it at Glasgow uh, Film Festival a couple years ago, and I DM'd Eli because I'd seen, seen it, and I was like, do you have a link? And he was like, yeah, here's a link for it. And we had a little talk with the movie afterwards, and we were both like, he thought it was okay, and I was like, it's not very good. And we just had to talk about it. And I went and read that again, and I was like, god damn, I really fucking hated my friend Dahmer. <laughs> but, and, but, but now it's like, it's like got the significance to me now, because like, my, one of my dead friends and I had a, one of our most major conversations about my friend Dahmer. So now, like, either I'll never watch it again because it makes me sad, or I'll watch my friend Dahmer and I'll think about how Eli was like, no, it's kind of good though. And I was like, no, you're out of your mind. <laughs> and there's something like beautiful about that. Like, I don't know. If I think about my friends, I think about like stupid shit like that. I think that's kind of what I want to. I think over time, the more time passes, the more silly shit like that is going to be what we think of when we think of Eli. We'll think about his movies. We'll think about his beautiful writing. We'll think about all that. And we'll think about the innate sadness of losing him so young. But we'll also think of all the stupid, silly shit that everyone got to do with him, that everyone talked about him. I don't think he'll be forgotten, which I think is the best thing any of us can ever ask for. Um, and I know Mara won't be forgotten yeah. either, which is also really consoling because I think everyone should see it. And I think everyone should have like a little moment where they think about something that matters to them. Even if that's just like what your childhood home looked like, like what did the wood look like? What did the sound of the water, you know, what if fire was really cool, like stuff like that, you know, I don't know. I just... Andrew Tarkovsky, man, he had it. Like, he had the stuff. That's a good fucking filmmaker. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. He he was really an, an incredible filmmaker, and it's clear from this discussion that he allowed you to uh, really get some catharsis in a hard time. And... Um, you know, I, I didn't know Eli. I, you know, had seen him around Letterboxd and um, he was always on the popular reviews. And I think he might have been one of the first people I followed on the the website, too. But, you know, um, he seemed like a seemed like a, a good guy. And, you know, it, it seems like it, it helped for you to talk about this as a, as a loss. And. I know this might be kind of a, a downer note to, you know, kind of move on, but but do you have any, uh, Logan, do you have any final thoughts that you want to say about the, the movie? I've said, I've said a lot about Mirror. Um, I don't know, I just think if you haven't seen Mirror and you somehow listened to this whole episode, I think you should go watch Mirror. Like it's real good. Like it's I. I just even if you even if you've seen it and you just like it's not that long. It's like what an hour forty five. Like go back. Looks like an hour forty seven. Hour forty seven. Yeah, you can just go back and watch it again because if it's been a few years, even like a few months or something, the world's different now. It will be for a while, and I think Mara will get something. You'll get something out of it. Um, I think it's a really, really beautiful movie. And it's meant a lot to me. It's meant a lot to a lot of people. And it has really sick images. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I'm so grateful to have, have had this conversation. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you so much for coming on, Logan, and, uh, you know, being so open um, about in this whole situation. Um, I really appreciate this conversation. And I guess... Uh, before we close out, is there anything that you would uh, that you would recommend uh, listeners uh, check out, uh, whether it be another Tarkovsky film or, you know, um, in any medium? There's a few things. Um, so, like Terrence Malick, Life in particular, like something like the New World, even is also kind of has the kind of same like some like the textures of the world around you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, like. Um, kids see ghosts cutty montage um, nothing about lyrics really but just about like the kind of way that Cuddy's chorus goes into stay strong save me lord and it feels made not by people it doesn't feel like it's made in the studio it feels something else it's like a, it's just a song in like two minutes 
like it takes you to another place. And I think Mera is kind of like that. Um, next time I watch Mera, I'm going to put Cuddy montage over the <laughs> ending and see what happens. Um, but I, I think that's a real good, a real good song that encapsulates it. And honestly, you know what? Before I fall, um, very different in form, obviously, but I think it gets that kind of same kind of like human values about death and about reflection. Um, but but like reflection, not as in going back in dreams, but literally going into what is now like technically your past and about doing everything different and still realizing that there is still a path for your life that is kind of unshakable. Which I think a lot of people think about is well, if things change, would I still be in the same place? And maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. And before I fall, it's kind of the exercise of trying to figure that out, um, which I think is really interesting. So those are the things I direct you to. Um, don't yell at me if you don't like before I fall. It's not like mirror. It's just it just makes me think about similar things. I'm totally into that recommendation. So uh, you could send the hate mail to me. <laughs> I'm going to kind of cop out a little bit with the recommendations. And I guess what I'd say is that there are a lot of filmmakers who try to, um, you know, bring the same level of texture that Tarkovsky uh, kind of consistently does in his films. I mean, they're films that are about textures and the, you know, the almost psychic, uh, the psychic, um, forces of, of spaces and, and rooms. And, you know, I, I think even a, a listener can just go to the other films in uh, Tarkovsky's filmography, uh, whether it's ones we've mentioned like, like Stalker and uh, Solaris and Andrei Rublev and get something different from each of them um, as, as they are so, uh, different and you, you know you'll get these incredibly incredible tableaus with uh immaculate blocking and something like andre rublev and then uh something like solaris is is deeply intimate and, and lonely and and i just think that uh that spectrum mm-hmm. of emotion and uh style is is just something that's that's totally singular so yeah there's nothing like mirror is what i'm saying <laughs> And finally, before we kind of close this out, uh, where can we find you these days, Logan? <clears throat> you can find me at on Twitter at LoganCanny1. Find me doing semi-regular reviews on Cinematary and our own The Film Stage uh, a couple times. Probably more regularly, honestly, so good for me. And um, go check out my podcast, Chasing Statham on SoundCloud, Chasing Without the G. Um, we were on a, we've been on a hiatus, but we're coming back. We're coming back strong with... Parker, <laughs> you sound real excited about that um, one, Logan. So look out for that, where we will talk about not Parker. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so that that please uh, give the Twitter account a follow, give the SoundCloud account a follow. Um, also, um, we may be doing another stream at some point. So if we do a stream, just like please turn up, donate some stuff. It seems like I'm going to be made to watch a bad movie on loop next. So. Uh, my friend pitched Star Trek Into Darkness for 24 hours, so there'd be 11 viewings of that. So You're a masochist. <laughs> I'm, I'm not hyped for that one. So if that one's the poll, I'm, I'm pretty screwed. Oh, it's, it's, if I, I made it already said that if we made a, if we make a grand in donations for the next stream, then I'll do the Marvel movies. Um, so that's two days. Um, so I'll take a break. <laughs> Um, but I'm I will do them you. if we make a grant. So please don't give us enough money to make me do that. But yeah, you can find me at, at, on Twitter and on SoundCloud and on Cemetery. So please have fun with that. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, no, thank you, Logan, for uh, joining me today. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell. I'm on Letterboxd. And uh, these days I I write occasionally for the film stage and the spool. I have a review of uh, the new Amazon Prime original, The Vast of Night, um, uh, on the spool this week. And uh, as far as uh, the film stage show, the other podcast I'm on, our uh, next episode will be um, about uh, Paul Verhoeven's classic uh, satire showgirls and the uh, documentary by Jeffrey McHale called You Don't Know Me, 
uh, we'll be having Mikhail on and we'll be talking to him uh, about kind of the critical rehabilitation of that film, amongst other things. And uh, on the next intermission, um, I will be speaking to uh, Roxana Haddadi about Andrew Dominic's polarizing uh, recession neo-noir uh, film, Killing Them Softly. Um, so look forward to that. And thank you again to our previously mentioned sponsor, Mubi. For a free 30-day trial of Mubi, uh, you can go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that's mubi.com slash filmstage. Uh, thank you again to everyone who joined us for this episode, and we will see you the next time on Intermission. Bye-bye. But sometimes, sometimes, life ain't always the way. Sometimes it snows in-